0: Hello and welcome to this podcast produced by the Northern Region of the University and College Union. My name's John Bryan and coming up in this episode you'll be hearing some advice and guidance that I gave to some university UCU reps on the issue of supporting the mental health needs of UCU members. Now I'll also be pointing to information and advice that you can find on the UCU website and if you do have any queries please make sure that you get in touch with us at the regional office. You can contact the regional office of UCU in the Northern Region by emailing gateshead at ucu.org.uk. And don't forget you can also find almost all of the information that we put out on our Twitter feed, which is at UCU northern we'll also be covering a few items of updates about what's happening in some of our further education colleges and our universities across the region a little bit later on. Now, here we have me talking about supporting the mental health needs of our members. (laughs) So I'm going to just run through a few things, a few general things first of all, before getting on to some more kind of general comments uh, and talking about a bit later on about any meetings that you might have with management when you might be accompanying a UCU member and talking about reasonable adjustments that you might want to make. But I'll also talk about some of the more collective things that the branch might be able to do. Uh, And just to say as well that these are not mutually exclusive, as you'll know, you know, doing individual bits of casework around these issues is not kind of the way to just do things. You have to look at things collectively as well. But first of all, I just want to list a few things really for you to kind of note about uh, doing individual bits of casework and representing members. So just a few things, you know, to to kind of uh, remember when you're doing it. The first thing, I think, is to remember that we're trade union reps. Um, We're not counsellors. We're not mental health experts. Even if you've got training in counselling, even if you've got a PhD in examining something on mental health, that's not the kind of relationship that you have with a member. You're there representing them uh, and attempting to do something for them in a workplace situation. Um, We can signpost people to other resources and other help as necessary but our first and foremost important thing to do is remember that we're trade union reps the second thing i just wanted to draw your attention to as a branch really is that when you assign a representative to a case that person should continue to be the representative of the member you know for at the time of that particular case so if you're accompanying them to meetings if you're offering support and guidance it should be that individual doing it Uh, You should always try and avoid passing a member from one representative to another. There's two reasons for saying that. Uh, First of all, the member doesn't want to have to go through the story again with another person. And secondly, the situation sometimes arises that the member may not like the advice that you're giving them. What they can't do is they can't just go off and find someone else until they get the advice that they like because that doesn't do anyone any favours, let alone the member. Uh, The third thing I wanted to mention is that uh, while the member may need, and they might indeed be accessing services independent from the university, independent from their employer, that doesn't mean that the employer needs to do nothing at all. Uh, There are certain things that you can still ask the university to do, and that also works both ways as well. So if the university suggests someone speak to their GP, that's not an unreasonable request. And if a member refused to do that, they kind of need to think quite carefully about not acting on that advice. Because if you have a meeting where you're discussing someone's mental health, let's say, and the manager says, have you spoken to your GP about it? And and the member says, no, I haven't. Um, And then kind of comes back and hasn't spoken to the GP. It's like, well we gave you some advice about what you should do, perhaps you should have, should have done that. And so not kind of taking up that advice sometimes needs to be thought about quite carefully. Uh, the fourth thing that I want to kind of draw your attention to is about asking for reasonable adjustments. If a member's disclosed to the employer that they might need some mental health support at work, asking for a reasonable adjustment is a perfectly legitimate and natural thing to do. You shouldn't see it as being something which is antagonistic. It is something that is perfectly reasonable to ask for and actually an adjustment is perfectly reasonable to give as well. Uh, The fifth thing that I wanted to mention is try not to make assumptions. Uh, Don't take an approach to a a case which doesn't recognise all the individual circumstances of that particular member. There's no kind of one-size-fits-all and just because you've dealt with one person suffering from depression in the past... Don't assume that the next case will be identical. What you can do, however, is obviously use some of the basic principles, you know, in all of those cases. And the the last thing I just wanted to mention in this particular section was, if you've got any doubt, just ask someone. Now, that can be asking someone more experienced in the branch. It can be asking someone at the regional office. It can be asking anyone. But if you've got doubt, there's no harm at all in saying... I need to check that out. Can I go and go and seek some further advice on it? So, just there, there are a few kind of things. Just what I wanted to mention first of all in terms of dealing with particular cases, and then I just thought it'd be worthwhile kind of talking through about how you might become involved as a representative, and how you might accompany a member to a meeting and offer them some advice and some guidance. So I suppose there's two kind of ways in which something might come your way. Um, First of all, the management at the institution might spot something, and they might call on the member to attend a meeting to discuss it. The other thing is that a member might be struggling, and perhaps they contact the union, or perhaps the member contacts their manager for help. So there's kind of two ways in which you can get involved but in each case if you end up having a meeting that meeting should focus on the concerns that have been identified either by the member or by the manager. Now that could be through a number of days of ill health that have been spotted, it might be some erratic behaviour, it could be some concerns from colleagues or managers and it might be appropriate that occupational health advice could be sought in these cases. And I'm sure some of you will have known of individual cases where occupational health advice is sought. And if that does, then you get a report and you have a series of pieces of advice or guidance that's there from occupational health to the university about the sorts of things that could be done. Now, it might be that occupational health advice isn't needed and that you can agree to a number of things without the need to actually get an occupational health advice. So, for example, if someone's got some uh, mental health concerns and is seeing a counsellor on a weekly or a fortnightly or even a monthly basis, then it may be the case that that person would want to work from home on that day. So it might be that they see the counsellor in the morning or the afternoon or whenever it might be. But it might be that working from home on that particular day could be something which will be very easily agreed to you know by both parties now obviously given that working from home has been something that a lot of people have done over the last 12 months that might be a little bit easier now than what it was in the past but it's something that it may well help the member in that situation and you don't actually have to get any occupational health advice in order to get it it's fairly straightforward or it should be fairly straightforward Now, the key thing about that is that asking for that to happen um, and more importantly, the employee asking for the employer to make a reasonable adjustment based on their needs. um, It will help to address their needs, which arise out of having a condition covered by the Equality Act. Now, it's sometimes easier to identify a reasonable adjustment if there's a physical disability, for example, timetabling a wheelchair user in multiple rooms on multiple campuses is not a particularly reasonable thing to do. And the solution to that will be fairly obvious. And similarly, I've dealt with a case in the past where someone was timetabled to teach into a very large workshop space and they were hearing impaired and had a problem with their balance when they were in a large room. And the employer said, well, why didn't you tell us about this about this at the time? And they said, well, you've never timetabled me in that room before, so it's never been an issue. So when you ask an employer to make a reasonable adjustment, um, whether it's dealing with stress or mental health concern or anything else, you're asking a direct question you know, of the employer and you're saying you want to bring people up to a level playing field. If you want to use the current terminology used by the Conservative government, levelling up would be the terminology that's being used. But the key thing is, is that what you're doing is you're asking for something and you're also asking for a response. And when you get that response, that's when it can become a discussion point and where you might start your role, not just as an advisor, but also as a negotiator with the management. Now, I guess the thing about... um reasonable adjustments is everyone always says well what is reasonable now at the end of the day that's only something that can be decided by an employment tribunal but you never really want to kind of go there unless you have to but I would say that the key thing is that doing nothing whatsoever is not reasonable so it's always about moving the dial one way rather than like not moving the dial at all what I will say to you about some occupational health reports which I've seen at your university and at others, or access to work reports, which I've seen, they do detail a huge number of things that can be done by the employer, and they can be done as reasonable adjustments. And I've also seen some institutions say, yeah, that's fine, we'll do the lot. Now, when that's the case, obviously that's very good. When it's not the case, then you can begin to have that argument or that discussion about trying to get those adjustments in place. The other thing that I want to mention is that while you might know about a variety of mental health conditions, whether that's stress or anxiety, depression or many others, you don't have to be an expert on them. I know that's something I mentioned earlier. I think um, you need to recognize and sometimes you need to spell out that if four of you are in a meeting, so you're there as a trade union rep, accompanying the member, some of them HR is there, the line manager is there, then For three of those people, including yourself, it's largely just another meeting. But for the member, it could be one of the most important meetings of their life. And indeed, it can be one of the most anxious ones as well. So I've been to a meeting relatively recently where um, there'd been a pause for two weeks. We came back to the meeting again and actually the employer had done nothing whatsoever in that interim period between those two weeks. Now, that had had quite a um, big impact on the member because they'd been worried about it, hadn't heard anything at all. Uh, and actually, the reasons why they hadn't done anything were perfectly reasonable. And it was to do with a bereavement for the two people, for one of the two people involved who should have been doing something. Now, that could have quite easily been communicated. And, you know, and it would have kind of alleviated a whole load of stress and anxiety for that member. Uh, So in those situations it's quite important that you as a representative say, well hang on a minute, this isn't just another meeting, this is a meeting which is very important for this member of ours who's suffering from anxiety and it's your responsibility as the employer to do something about it. So I just want to turn you know very quickly just to talk about a few things that you might do collectively. So everything that I've talked about so far is about dealing with individual bits of casework and some of the things that you could do. Now the key thing about dealing with stuff collectively is spotting or recognizing that there's a problem um, or concerns about mental health of a particular group of workers. and that concern is generated. Or it's exacerbated by the way in which work is taking place. So for example we could all say I'm a little bit stressed out by the lockdown or we could all say that my mental health is impacted by the pandemic but the thing is what is it that your employer can do about that situation? You know sometimes it it can do very little but often it's about how what is it about the workplace that impacts on the individual which doesn't help them in the situation that they're in. Now, one of the things, and I don't know if it's happened at your place over the last 12 months, but people sometimes say, well, have a well-being day. Or here's some recipes for you to cook and try with your kids at home. Or go for a walk. That's one of the things that the uh, UK public have become very good at recently. Uh, Now, all those sorts of things are all very interesting and everything else, but you know, they're not a kind of, you know, real solution to the problem. And it does depend on how you exactly, you specify what the problem is. So one of the things that you have to try and do, either as members or a branch or whatever, is say things like the lockdown has meant that I've been asked to do A, B or C. And I can't do those because, and it could be a number of things, it could be I don't have the skills to do online teaching in that particular way. I don't have the quiet space to do a personal tutorial. I'm being asked to do X, Y and Z on top of all my other work. Now, whichever one of those issues it it will be, I think it's absolutely right to say, right, well, if that's the case, let's ask for some work tasks to be dropped or passed on or whatever it might be. But the key thing is about getting data about what the issue is, and then you can begin to think about solutions to it. Now, the solution is always better if they cover everyone rather than it just being an individual thing. Now, that could be an allocation of hours for everyone because of online working. And I think that's something that you as a branch manager, to do quite early on. Or it could be the deletion of tasks which no longer need doing, which would impact positively on everyone. And I think as a branch, if that's something that you want to do, then I'm quite happy to work with you about how you might implement that. But one of the key things, really, first of all, is about what data have you got which show what the the particular problems are that are facing members. If you're interested in finding out more about what you can do, either as a UCU representative or a UCU member, about tackling issues around mental health... And you can find plenty more information on our website, ucu.org.uk. There's a document there about supporting members with mental health conditions and issues, as well as some more general information about taking care of yourself during the COVID-19 pandemic. You can also find a wealth of webinars on our UCU YouTube channel, just go to YouTube and search UCU, University and College Union. You can find a CPD webinar on working safely during the pandemic, as well as a webinar including advice from the TUC and one of our UCU officials on health and safety called Tackling Stress in the Workplace. Please do check out the YouTube channel for UCU for plenty more information and guidance. Now, just to turn to a number of issues in the region, and in particular the impact of the adult education budget clawback on FE colleges in the region. You might have seen the article in FE News recently, You can find it at fenews.co.uk and there's an article which talks about the impact of this clawback. Now on Furness College in the region it says that the £640,000 would be the reduction in the budget if the clawback went ahead. Gateshead College is also mentioned in the article And it talks about the ability for Gates College to deliver its adult education allocation has been severely curtailed because of the COVID-19 restrictions over the academic year. Now, UCU has previously written to the government to raise concerns about the Education and Skills Funding Agency's decision to set the threshold rate for adult education under delivery at 90%. And UCU estimates that this could cost tens of millions of pounds in funding, and we are calling on the government to reverse its decision. UCU General Secretary Joe Grady said, This decision will deliver little in savings for the ESFA, while further squeezing an area of provision that is absolutely central to recovering from the pandemic, closing the post-Brexit skills gap and tackling climate change by building a green economy. Adult education, Joe says, is not only crucial in terms of retraining for economic recovery and transition, but important for mental health and well-being in society more widely. We will see the implications of these cuts over the coming months. Please don't forget to follow our UCU Northern Twitter feed where we will continue to post information, advice and guidance and also about what we're doing about campaigning on this issue. Now for more than a decade, further education has been neglected and underfunded. Staff working in FE have suffered a real pay cut of over 30% and UC Youth Campaign to Rebuild FE is about further education, further education staff and the pay that they receive. There is currently a consultative ballot of members in many FE colleges in England and we are asking them whether or not they're prepared to vote in favour of taking strike action. Now the campaign, you can find it at ucu.org.uk forward slash rebuildFE and for those of you who are using social media to talk about it, please use the hashtag rebuildFE. Hopefully you will have received information about it in the email, in your inbox. If not, please do get in touch with the regional office or check out our website. We're keen to do something about the increasing gap between school teacher pay and the pay in further education. If you're prepared to vote in favour of Strike Action, please vote yes. (laughs) Now, for most of the last 12 months, a significant number of people have worked from home during the pandemic. And there are discussions ongoing about whether or not working from home will be a continual feature of UK society. A article in the Palatinate last week talked about Durham University to trial hybrid working in the next academic year. You can find out more about this by looking at the article in the Palatinate, which we've also tweeted from our UCU Northern Region account. Now, the university says that the trial is a recognition that some people may prefer to continue to do their roles remotely or not be on campus for all of the working days. It's not clear exactly how this will work, but there is some useful information that you can find by looking at the piece and perhaps following the discussion on social media. Now, one final piece of information for everyone is the publication of a new report by the Social Market Foundation. You can download the PDF at their website, which is smf.co.uk. That's the Social Market Foundation. And the report is called, not just other people's children, what the public thinks about vocational education. Now, some of the key points in this is that vocational education is seen as the best option for school leavers. 48% of people say that they would prefer their child to get a vocational qualification. And they most people also think that vocational education should be at least an equal political priority to higher education, With one in three saying vocational education should receive more focus, and less than one in 10 in favour of prioritising universities. You can find the information about it on their website, and there's also a Twitter thread on the issue. Please do look it up. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced by the University and College Union, please don't forget to like, favourite, subscribe, or please review this podcast and remember to share it with others so that our message and our news and information and advice goes further and further. Don't forget that if you want to join UCU, go to ucu.org.uk slash join. And you can find all of the information that we've talked about in this episode on our Twitter feed, which is at u c u Northern. Thanks for listening.